The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Rob Wolf. He is a former research biochemist, health expert, and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Paleo Solution. And today, we're talking about his new book, Wired to Eat. Rob, welcome to the show. Huge honor to be here. Thank you. Um, so what inspired you to write these books um, on food and paleo? Oh, man. Um, you know, the, the first one it was a little bit of an interesting process. So I, in the deep, dark recesses of my past, I was a research biochemist, mainly in the areas of cancer and autoimmunity. And I've always been interested in human health, performance, kind of, you know, performance optimization. But in tinkering with my own eating and lifestyle, I, I managed to actually paint myself into a corner such that I developed some pretty serious health problems. I had ulcerative colitis so bad in my, my mid to late 20s that the, the doctors that were working with me wanted to do a bowel resection. And so it was a pretty nasty situation. And the, the solution that ended up emerging was this, this idea of a paleo or ancestral type diet. And I started playing around with that and immediately had dramatic improvement in my, my ulcerative colitis issues a bunch of other problems that I had ended up resolving. And I, I had, at that point, been considering either a medical school track or uh, possibly a Ph.D. research track. But the kind of the, the way that I started looking at our modern situation of health, like, like modern medicine is really, really effective at dealing with acute issues, you know, infectious disease, injuries, trauma, and it's pretty terrible at dealing with anything chronic and degenerative. When you look at the rates of cancer, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, like we know more about these subjects than we ever have in the past, but they, they continue to generally inch upwards, and some of them more than inch. Some of them are growing at pretty rapid clips. And so I couldn't really wrap my head around spending eight years in medical school learning about pathology to then turn around and hopefully start talking about health and wellness, particularly from this kind of evolutionary medicine perspective. And so it was, I, I was kind of confused about where to go next. But it, it, interestingly, right around this time, this was around 2000, 2001, uh, I discovered this interesting new workout online called CrossFit. And my friend Dave Warner and I, he's a retired Navy SEAL, we started working out together in his garage before we knew it, we had about 30, I don't know, 15, 20 people working working out with us, and we decided that we wanted to open a gym and call it CrossFit. And so we called the, the Glassmans, who were the CrossFit you know, founders, and asked them if we could open a gym and call it CrossFit, and they said yes. And so that ended up being the first CrossFit affiliate gym in the world. And then I, after about a year after that, I moved back down to Chico, California, and opened up what was then the fourth CrossFit affiliate gym. And I, I was basically these gyms became a laboratory for me to work with people and to take these concepts about the paleo diet and evolutionary medicine that includes sleep and movement and uh, community elements and whatnot and, you know, put it out to a group of folks and see what stuck and what, what people understood, what they didn't understand, what they struggled with. Uh, I ended up doing uh, seminars all around the world for a number of years, and in prepping for those seminars, it, this was like eight hours of nutritional biochemistry and digestion, and, and you know, it was a lot of material, and so I, I started writing a manual for that, 
And the manual was basically just to try to help people going through the seminar to have some pre-reading so that they could get one exposure to all this material before arriving and, you know, hearing me talk about it so that they could be better informed and ask better questions and whatnot. And so that first book, The Paleo Solution, was actually, you know, was kind of a, an outgrowth of that eight-hour seminar. And, uh, you know, it was a conversation with tens of thousands of people and learning about their stories, learning again about what worked for them and what didn't. And that was kind of the, the impetus for that whole process. So can you tell us what this, the title of this new book means, Wired to Eat? Yeah, so it, it's really looking at, at kind of the genetic wiring of how our neuroregulation of appetite works. And the neuroregulation of appetite is this kind of hoity-toity sounding concept, but it, it, it's basically when do you know that you've eaten enough and, and uh, what are some things that can happen such that we overeat, which is an all-too-common occurrence in our, our modern world of highly processed, hyper-palatable foods. So the, the whole story within Wired to Eat still definitely contains a lot of this evolutionary medicine, evolutionary biology kind of orientation, but instead of starting from this whole caveman motif as, as the argument, um, we're really looking at what goes into the neuroregulation of appetite? What are strategies for eating and sleeping and moving and, and living that can make our appetite work with us instead of against us? And it, it's a not insignificant challenge because the modern world is, is basically constructed in a way to bypass or, or not necessarily bypass, but to uh, exploit the genetics that made us successful in the past, made our ancestors successful in the past, but can pose a lot of challenges today. So these genetics, you talk about it in, in your book, and, and I think you say that we're actually meant to um, move less and, and eat more. Do I have that right? Correct, yeah. And uh, and then, of course, every diet that's out there tells us to do the opposite. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, at the end of the day... That, that's uh, that's kind of what we still need to figure out a way to do it. But it's you know if we if we are buried in a, a world of hyper palatable foods, if you imagine walking down the snack aisle of the supermarket, you know how how do you where does moderation exist there? You know how do you figure out a way of eating less, moving more when? access to just an almost infinite variety of foods and food options is, is immediately at hand, there's some thought that needs to go into that. It's almost like a, practicing a self-defense art. Like you need to plan ahead and put yourself into a position of success instead of trying to rely on, on uh, self-control, which is not how humans were, were fundamentally wired in the past. We, we were rewarded by eating everything that wasn't nailed down and then resting because, you know, any organism that burns more calories than what it gets out of its environment, if that happens over an extended period of time, it's going to die. And so there's a really powerfully, you know, uh, rewarded feedback loop there that if you find food and then if you find more varieties of food, you're encouraged to eat that. And, And so, yeah, we have this really trite and, and, uh, you know, it seems like, you know, reasonable sounding recommendations, you know, hey, just eat less and move more. But that's fundamentally at odds with our, our basic genetic wiring. And it's not to say we can't figure out strategies for coping with that. But if you think that this idea of eat less, move more is supposed to be easy, you're nuts. Like, you know, particularly in this, this uh, modern food environment that we live in. Um, well, you know, I I definitely agree with you. I've quit eating sugar a number of times in my life because it always comes back in. And, um, you know, the cravings, whether it's for sugar or just food in general, it's very, very difficult to overcome and, and not socially acceptable either. I mean, if if you're not eating with everybody else, it um, makes them uncomfortable. It, it does. You know, uh, I, I break these things down into what I call the four pillars of health. And the first pillar is sleep and photo period because our light exposure is critical in managing our, our sleep process. 
And then, of course, food is a, a big factor. Movement is a huge element. Uh, I call it movement instead of exercise. Nobody likes to exercise. Everybody likes to move. So I call it that. And then this community piece is also a really critical factor of our overall health and our success. There's some great studies that, that paint a picture that people with inadequate social connectivity, inadequate social support, there is a high risk for morbidity and mortality, early death and disease as a pack-a-day smoker. And we don't fully understand all the mechanisms going on there, but we, we clearly evolved as, uh, you know, group kind of, kind of organisms. And that's part of what, what makes us, uh, successful. But the interesting kind of darker flip side to that is that when you do something different than what the group at large is up to, and this can be your family, your coworkers, uh, fellow students, um, people get very off put you know, when, when one person is kind of bucking the usual trends and they try to do something different. And it, it, it's interesting. You see this, whether you have a group of people that are all struggling financially and they all live beyond their means and spend more than what they, they, they should spend. And one person says, you know what, I'm stopping this. Um, I'm, uh, I'm getting out of debt. I, I'm not spending money frivolously anymore. And that, that person will get a lot of grief from the the people around them oftentimes and this is uh, you know similar in the food story one person will decide that they're going to try to eat better and it's it's uh, you know almost the crabs crawl pulling the crab back into the crab pie and so it's a uh, it's a fascinating story because we really need these social connections to be healthy and and you know just makes for a better life but some elements of those social connections can be really hamstringing when we uh, attempt to make change. Well, I, de- I definitely agree. Before I um, went to school, um, you know, people would try to pressure me to eat, eat certain things and, you know, just one won't hurt you. But, you know, one turns into many and, and triggers those cravings. Um, I don't get told that anymore, but people know what I do. So <laughs> they don't challenge right. me. But I know I know what, what everybody is up against, you know, when they're trying to make those changes and they, they come up against um, a society that, that is very uncomfortable with it. Right, right. Yeah, and it's... Uh... It's fascinating. You know, I, I, you could probably do a whole show just on the psychology of that story, but I think it's valuable for people to recognize that that's a, a real thing. It's a real process. And, um, I don't have magic solutions around that. I, I devote a lot of time in the book talking about it. And I mean, what, what it boils down to sometimes is cutting relationships. And it, this sounds crazy because, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> connections with family and friends and everything, these, these are really important, but, you know, some of these relationships are, are just toxic at, at some level. And if, if a significant other or somebody in your life is openly undermining your attempts at just living better and being healthier, clearly they don't have your best interests at heart. And there's, you know, similarly, they have something going on that, that they really need to deal with and come to terms with. And it, it's not your job to, you know, steward them through that process. If they're, you know, if they care about you, they should be helping you, not hindering you. I, I definitely agree. So since we're talking about the paleo diet, I know there's a lot of misconceptions about what that is. So what, what are you talking about um, in terms of this, this change? Well, I mean, a, a really important thing to keep in mind is it's not just a diet and it's not just the food. It's this whole package of sleep and photo period, which I, I could argue is more important than the food. Or if there's one element of our lives that has changed more than than the food in, say, like the last hundred years, it's our, our sleep. And uh, the, there's just a monumental amount of information showing that disordered, short sleep is really, really negatively impactful to our health. And then there's also the movement element and then this community element. So I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's not just the food, but the but this kind of holistic approach to this whole story. But, you know, on the food side, by inclusion, the paleo diet is basically built around fruits, vegetables, roots, tubers, seafood, meat, fish, fowl, nuts, seeds, um, by exclusion, it generally 
is, uh, you know, it starts off with no grains, no legumes, no dairy. And people get all kinds of uh, freaked out and contentious around this stuff. But my, my greasy used car salesman pitch is that we use this as a starting place. We do it for 30 or 60 days. We help heal our, our uh, inflammation, heal our gut, improve our digestion, improve our, our normalizing our neuroregulation of appetite so that, you know, good tasting but not super processed foods become the norm instead of kind of this, this weird, uh, uh, you know, unique experience that people have. And then I really strongly recommend that people play with the, the options that are outside that basic paleo template to see how they do with it. And in, in Wired to Eat, we, we use a seven-day carb test to get really granular as to how folks respond to various foods in general, but carbohydrates in particular. There's some fascinating research that came out of the Weizmann Institute in Israel about two years ago. And it was, it was interesting. They put a continuous blood glucose monitor on these people. They did a full genetic analysis on these folks. They did a gut microbiome analysis. And then they started feeding these people different meals. And what was fascinating is, you know, one person would eat a, a serving of white rice and they would have a pretty good blood glucose response. And another person would eat the same serving of white rice and have a nearly diabetic blood glucose response. And so what emerged out of this was that we are massively, you know, uh, uh, we, we have huge differences in the way that we respond to different foods, similar to exercise. And, and so we need to use these basic orienting frameworks like paleo or vegan or, you know, what, whatever it is that people want to use. But then we need to be really aware of the fact that we are highly individual and our unique circumstances need some additional fiddling to find out what's going to work best for us individually. Um, you know, I, I love that idea and we're going to talk more about it when we get back from this break. We're talking today with Rob Wolf and we're discussing his book, Wired to Eat. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Rob Wolf, and we're discussing his book, Wired to Eat. So, Rob, um, before the break, you described what the paleo diet is, and it, it was interesting. You were bringing up a study about how people were having different glucose response to rice, and I think that's what your book is about, is, is um, to figure out how your body responds and, and how you feel. Do I have that right? Absolutely, yeah. As much as it would simplify my work to have a one-size-fits-all recommendation and then I could just hang a gone fishing sign on my website and, you know, open a coconut farm in, in Nicaragua, like the the reality is that there's just a massive amount of individual variation in this whole story. And so as, as 
best a job as we do in recommending, you know, that people start with whole unprocessed foods, that can mean a very different thing from one person to another, a very insulin sensitive person, uh, you know, they could eat a lot more carbs and, and be completely healthy and functional on that. And then someone like me who, who due to likely genetic and other epigenetic factors, things like my gut microbiome and, and, uh, the fact that I was on tetracycline for acne from the age of 13 to 21, those things have probably set up some some elements to my physiology that now I, I just don't do that well on a lot of carbs. And so for me to really run at my best, I eat maybe 75 to 120 grams of carbs a day, and I do uh, kind of old guy Brazilian jiu-jitsu and some gymnastics and stuff like that, and that, that motors me along pretty well. But then my wife, by contrast, uh, she can eat two, three times more carbs and what I do, and she does great on that. But then interestingly, because she's so metabolically healthy, she will also switch things up and eat a very low-carbohydrate ketogenic diet occasionally, and she just goes straight into ketosis, and there's no drama there. Like, she doesn't feel terrible. Uh, uh, there's there's not a lot of problems with it, but I, I've got to say, she is reasonably unique these days within a westernized population where she is metabolically healthy, metabolically flexible. Like there's not a ton of people running around like that anymore. Well, no, I, I, I definitely agree with you. Now, when we're talking about paleo, it has a reputation for being, you know, all meat and, and um, it, it doesn't sound like it, it's this cookie cutter diet. So can you just explain, you know, how that balances out for people? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the whole, it, it, uh, I try to maintain some degree of, uh, professionalism with this stuff, but if I hear somebody say the, the paleo diet is all meat, then it, it tells me that they haven't read a single scientific article on the topic. And so it, it um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's right up there with, you know, flat earth type stuff. And, uh, we didn't actually land, land people on the moon. It, it's, um, I'm not even really too sure how to handle it because it's so poorly informed. I, I'm at a little bit of a loss of where to start with it. When you really dig into the, the scientific literature of what's being recommended there, usually 60 to 70% of the calories consumed are plant origin, plant-based. And, and uh, there's really no set number on that story. You know, the recommendation is to focus on food quality first and then play around with the macronutrient ratios, the protein, carbs, fat, the amount of animal products versus plant products. That, that's up to you to, to play with and what your individual needs are. So I, 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 um, saying it as tactfully as I can, the, you know, those recommendations are, are just based out of uh, pretty profound ignorance. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it, it's, uh, uh, if people do a little bit of reading around the credible sources and they, they pretty quickly see that there's a lot more to it than just simply eating meat all day. Um, and so when we're talking about carbs, a lot of people um, feel only grains are carbs. And of course, this is something that you're removing, at least for the first 30 days of your of your diet um, that you're recommending. But um, what what do people do instead for their carb replacement? Yeah, you know, there's fruits, vegetables, yams, sweet potatoes, uh, squash. There's quite a, a remarkable variety of, of carb sources outside of just, say, like bread, rice, pasta, that, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, that sounds like a, a pretty healthy diet to me of just eating, you know, what, what's grown in the earth. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you know, technically grains grow in the earth too, but it's uh, a... People generally don't eat like when you see something labeled whole grain, it's really not whole grain. They've milled it and processed it and added sugar and sweetener. You know, people are not sitting down and eating pearled barley as their, their basic, you know, uh, uh, food source. And so th this is why I do recommend that people get in and tinker with some of this stuff on, on, you know, after their reset, but we're, we still need to orient people more towards those largely whole unprocessed foods. But, you know, it's, it is interesting. This is just a, a possibly an aside, but if you take a standard dietitian recommended diet that is very heavy in 
in grains. And, and interestingly, there's still a lot of processed food in there. And you take a 2,000-calorie diet that you would get from, like, the American Dietetics Association, and you put that through a nutrition analyzer and look at the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants that you get out of it. And then you put together a basic paleo-type diet that's built around lean meat, seafood, fruits, vegetables, root shoots, and tubers. And you put that through a nutrition analyzer. It ends up looking like you're taking a vitamin supplement when you look at the, the paleo diet, and you are typically deficient in just about everything that the American Dietetics recommended diet is. The American Dietetics recommended diet doesn't meet the minimum guidelines for avoiding nutrient deficiency in most everything. This is kind of one of the ironies that, you know, the, the basic, you know, uh, governmental recommended diet doesn't even provide the, the basics of of uh, uh, nutrients for most people, whereas this more uh, fruits, vegetables, uh, meat and seafood and inclusive paleo type diet, it, it usually is multiples, you know, 100% of this, 300% of that. There's a few things like calcium and vitamin D that it's usually low in, but the calcium story is interesting in that if we get lots and lots of magnesium, which you get from fruits and vegetables and even meat and seafood, then we don't need as much calcium in our diet for, for things to work, and it appears things actually work better. Too much calcium in the diet appears to be a, a factor in, say, like uh, uh, atherosclerosis and also some elements of neurodegenerative disease. And then the vitamin D piece, um, we should normally be getting that from being outside and, and or eating some things like, like livers. But, it, you know, again, if you put on this, this perspective of this evolutionary biology story a little bit, then it, it makes sense that, you know, if we get outside during the day, which ideally we do that, and clearly there are locations that are cloudy significant parts of the year, and, and so you need to figure out some, some workarounds with that. But it, it shouldn't be surprising that um, calcium and vitamin D are probably lower than what the this current recommendations are, but we would normally get those things from other sources. So um, one thing that there's a little fad going around that a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. Um, is that true? Well, I mean, people love these things to be black or white. And so you've got one camp that says it's only about calories. And then you have another camp that says it's only about food quality or maybe more specifically, it's only about, say, controlling insulin. But there's a reality that different foods alter the way that we eat. Um, a really high-protein meal tends to cause a person to spontaneously reduce the amount of total calories that they consume. So the people that say it's all, all or only about calories, they completely ignore the fact that, that if you eat one way, you have a tendency to eat more food. If we eat more processed foods, then there's just a, a tendency to eat more of that, whereas if we eat more protein, more fiber, um, more satiating fats, then we spontaneously reduce our caloric intake. So now we can hold a gun at people's head, and, and, uh, or some people, uh, we, we see this particularly in like the fitness and bodybuilding scenes, where they're fairly neurotic about their food, and they will weigh and measure every morsel that they eat, and they are able to uh, uh, you know, eat some, some reasonably low-quality food, but they keep their caloric intake within certain boundaries because they are... You know, I, I don't even want to call it discipline because it's not discipline. They're neurotic enough to make that work. But when we look out at the rest of the world, 99.9% of people are not wired that way. Like we, if we have food in front of us, we're, we will eat it. And so in, in that scenario, we need to think about, okay, what are some ways that we could eat that we just spontaneously do not overeat? And one of the most effective stories that we've seen in that is just reducing carbohydrate intake. And part of the background story with that is that when the blood sugar levels tend to go from high to very low, the brain really doesn't like those low points. And it, it, you, we tend to get tired and cranky and foggy headed. And then we seek out, we really powerfully desire another hit in that, that refined carbohydrate. So, yeah, I mean, it's, from a thermodynamic perspective, yes, calories are kind of where the, 
the rubber hits the road, but at the same time, there's much more detail and nuance to that story. And this is, again, you know, we've had that story told to us for almost 60 years now, and it's failed. Telling people to just portion control fails. Um, the, this is another interesting story. The American Dietetics recommended diet when that's been compared against high carb or low, or, or a, a low carb, high fat, you know, like Atkins or vegan or macrobiotic or what have you. All of these other dietary approaches limit options to some degree. And this is the one thing that really freaks dietitians out is limiting food options. But interestingly, also, the diet practices that they recommend consistently fail at a much more more staggering rate than any of these other recommendations. So it's, um, you know, if we were being graded, if these dietitians were, were engineers and they were designing bridges that consistently failed, we, it, you know, we would look at this in a much more critical fashion, but they're, they're making dietary recommendations that consistently fail, but yet we're still holding them up as the experts and still, uh, uh, you know, making the recommendations that they have uh, appear to be credible when they, they don't just don't work in real life. Well, one of the things I love about your book is that this isn't a one-size-fits-all diet. I mean, you're, you begin with the you know, the 30-day reset, um, but then you you have people introduce um, some of the carbs, the grains, um, to see how they they respond, just like, you know, they're different, like you and your wife are. Um, And so that's also telling me that it's just allowing somebody to listen to their body and understand what their body needs and doesn't need. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I I will... I'll I'll, uh, I'll come clean with a little something like uh, when when my publishers in particular looked at this book, they were like, oh, okay, this is great. Carbs are back on the menu. Everybody's going to be happy. And I was like, well, you need to kind of cool your jets there a little bit. Um, what, What I'm doing with this is instead of me telling people, hey, you're insulin resistant, you probably won't be able to eat a lot of carbs over the over the long haul. What is happening instead is the individual is discovering that. So we, we get them healthy with this 30-day reset, and then we kind of stress or pressure test their system by reintroducing these carbs. But when they see that their blood sugars go to nearly diabetic levels after eating some of these meals, then instead of me being the person that says, hey, that's not a good idea, it's them. And so with, when I've done this in our, our clinic, I'm on the board of directors of a medical clinic here in Reno, Nevada, and when we started shifting this process around to, um, you know, having the person kind of discover this on their own instead of us just making these onerous recommendations that they wanted to fight against, we ended up having much less pushback, you know, with a discovery process instead of it being, uh, uh, you know, somebody, somebody finger wagging at them. Well, I, I think um, I'd have a better time following through with something that, um, you know, I realized was what I needed and someone instead of someone just saying, you need to do this because it's right. a diet we're telling you to. I, I don't think that ever goes very well or lasts very long for anybody. <laughs> right, right. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Rob Wolf and we're discussing his book, Wired to Eat. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you're busy, stressed, and can't ever seem to find the time to add in those new healthy habits, you need to check out Lisa Lutan's Busy, Stressed, and Food-Obsessed show. 
This program will help you discover easy ways to improve your health and happiness. Plus, you will pick up all sorts of tips on better eating, fitness, relationships, how to manage stress, and a lot more. You'll feel yourself becoming healthier just by tuning in. Listen live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Rob Wolf, and we're discussing his book, Wired to Eat. So, Rob, um, in this process, I think it, it's also important just to talk about how important our, our gut is for our health. I mean, we're talking about food changes. Um, I know we're not wanting to call this a diet because it's really a, it's a lifestyle change, hopefully for the permanent to help people. But how important is our, our gut in this process? Oh, it's it's just incredibly important. And, you know, maybe 15 years ago, um, our level of understanding of this whole story was about it the following. Um, You go on some antibiotics and you get a yeast infection and your doctor says, eat some yogurt. And that, that that was about the level of understanding. We now understand that changes in our gut flora, the bacteria that, that co, co-evolve and coexist with us, they may be key factors in cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, whether we are insulin sensitive or insulin resistant. Uh, there appear to be certain profiles of gut bacteria that are very consistently associated with either longer life or shorter life. Um, we, we learn more about this every day than what we learned in previous decades. I mean, it is the one of the hottest areas of medical and, and health research that exists right now, possibly the hottest area. And so, you know, we, we are just learning an incredible amount. But currently, the, the recommendations about what to do are still kind of challenging because, again, from person to person, there's so much variability. And, and there are a remarkable number of people running around with seriously broken, um, damaged digestive systems. And my, my first book, The Paleo Solution, has been out for seven years. It's continued to sell really, really well that whole time. And I'm not good looking. I'm not particularly smart. But the, the, the reason why the book sells is because it really works. And it, it really got in and, and helped people to affect changes that really the primary focus was on restoring gut health, whether they realized it or not. And so... When one person succeeds with that, then they end up usually telling friends and family and buying books for people. And that's been a lot of the, the long-term, you know, sustaining su- success of that book. But it, it's, uh, you, you would be hard-pressed to find a medical condition these days. Like if you took a condition like type 1 diabetes and you put in type 1 diabetes, gut flora, type 2 diabetes, gut flora, Parkinson's disease, gut flora, you're going to find a massive amount of information on that stuff, and it's it's really interesting. And again, we don't know exactly what to do and how to manage that, but uh, it's certainly improving our sleep, our movement, our uh, mitigating our stress level, and then focusing on on you know whole unprocessed foods appears to move that whole gut flora kind of system into a more healthy scenario. Well, you know, um, for years, doctors have been saying, oh, food doesn't have anything to do with it. Um, And I even had a a patient once who had uh, colitis like you, and she changed her diet and had no symptoms. And her uh, specialist had told her that was no way to live, to eat so restricted. So she should eat the foods, that whatever she wanted, and he would just give her a prescription for steroids. Right. 
Right. And, you know, it seems baffling to me that we wouldn't want to recognize that that there is a way to change our health. And it might not do everything, but it's our fuel. It's like putting mud in your car if you're not putting the right food in your body. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that this, the response of my gastroenterologist when I ended up uh, healing my ulcerative colitis was very similar, uh, possibly. It, like, at least with this person, it sounds like he or she acknowledged that the dietary change had an effect, but they felt like, you know, it would be better managed by putting people on immunosuppressant steroid drugs, which is ludicrous. But, you know, my doctor just shrugged and said, uh, diet doesn't have any influence on this. It was just a fluke. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people in this uh, evidence-based medicine scene. And, and evidence-based medicine is really, really important. Like, it, it's easy for us to comp- to uh, fool ourselves that we see something that appears to be true and isn't. And this is part of the the scientific process. But at the same time, you know, there is no randomized controlled trial that that implicitly shows that if I drop a hammer on your foot, that it's going to hurt your foot. But there there is a point where common sense kind of comes in. And when you, when you see thousands and then tens of thousands and then millions of people fiddling with the process and getting some sort of a favorable result, which is what we, we now see in this kind of paleo diet story, then, it, it, you know, it's not evidence-based medicine yet, but it should make us curious enough to start asking some questions to really investigate that. And, um, you know, in the last two to three years, there have been more studies looking at the gut microbiota, the paleo diet, and, and what have you than had been done in the previous 10 years. So there's definitely much more emphasis being placed on all this, and it's uh, it's about time. It's it's time we really give all this stuff a a good look. Well, in in the beginning of this episode, you talked about the four pillars of health. So um, can you just explain what that is, so people know we're not just talking about food changes. Yeah, you know the uh, sleep and photo period is the first pillar, and photo period it, all that that means is how much how much light and when the light is, is, you know, exposed on us. And for things to really work best, we should ideally be out in the sun a lot. And I'm not recommending that you get sunburns, you know, day in and day out, but we need light on our skin, light in our eyes. This actually sets up our, our circadian rhythm so that we know when to go to bed. And then the flip side of that is that in the evenings when the sun has gone down, we need to turn our lights down. We need to put on some blue blockers so that it screens out the blue wavelength of light that uh, suppresses melatonin production. Melatonin is a critical neurohormone, neurotransmitter that initiates the sleep process. And so there's some important features there that if we don't fix that, then we tend to be insulin resistant. We tend to overeat. We tend to seek out uh, highly processed foods. So people that have disordered sleep, and this gets really challenging in certain populations like police, military, fire, medical professions where people are working shift work, um, they have a heck of a time dealing with their, their dysregulated sleep and dysregulated appetite because the, the stress of that process really makes them seek out food and, and uh, usually highly processed food. And then, of course, we have the dietary piece, but then we also have movement, which, um, you know, to be people can live a long time without physically exercising. There are people that live quite long lives and they never really exercise to any degree, but they, they live within a very narrow experiential band. Like if you are healthy and mobile and strong, you can just do more things. And I, I would argue that you probably feel much better. And there are certainly some important health considerations that are improved from movement. And then we have that community piece, which we we talked about a lot earlier, you know, that is a critical feature of being human and being healthy, but also can have some some dark elements to it if if we're in, you know, dysfunctional or not that supportive of relationships. Well, you know, this um, I think all these these topics are are important um, just so that people can realize, of course, if we're talking about stress eating and not reducing the stress or people doing shift work and and they're eating because they're feeling stressed or for emotional eating, if we don't address those issues, of course, just 
this this will fail because we won't be able to stick to it long term. We'll go back to our old habits and our old cravings. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a so there's both you know tackling the emotional side of this, and a, a key feature of that is understanding that we are not wired for self control. That at a really fundamental level, it's good engineering that you want to eat all the cheesecake or all the potato chips or, or what have you. And so it's not a moral failing to want to do that. But at the same time, we need to recognize that there are some probably not insignificant health consequences of doing that. And so, you, you know, it's not a moral thing. It's not a failure thing. It, it's, it's understanding that these are just kind of genetic biological tendencies and so now let's set ourselves up for success. Let's understand that this is what's going on. And, you know, a, a key piece to that is if you've been doing well with a different way of eating, and this could be paleo or vegan or what have you, and then you have one meal that's, off, you know, outside the norm, um, that's not a failure. It, you're, you're just one meal away from being back on track and doing what you were doing previously. Or you can spin out and turn it into this big emotional morality-based uh, uh, failure scenario and beat yourself up and then just bail on all the success that you've already had. So, it, you know, it's a, it's a really important point to, to de-emotionalize this stuff and demoralize this stuff so that you, you understand that, you know, this is, this is your normal biological tendencies to, to want to eat everything that's not nailed down, but we need to set up some strategies so that we can better manage that. So what does it mean to moralize food? Well, you know, the, the sense of failure is moralizing food. You know, it's, uh, I, I, uh, I'm supposed to be eating paleo or vegan, but I ate something that wasn't paleo or vegan, and so I'm a bad person. That's, that's moralizing food, and it, uh, it gets us nowhere fast. Uh, it is incredibly hurtful and damaging, and it's a, a critical feature of people. Um, if you succeed, then uh, over the long haul, the, the folks that do succeed, then they have either never developed that tendency to moralize their eating, or they've come to some peace with it. Now, peace with it really isn't about the food. It's about some some hurt, some trauma somewhere where people started using food as kind of a palliative deal, as a way of making themselves feel better. And then, you know, they, they can develop some, some kind of squirrely habits around the eating. But that's the, the moralizing of food. I think we've all done that. I think our society does that. You know, we, um, of course, there's there's lots of ads showing us, you know, food, but then at the same time, we have society showing us to to look and, and be a certain way and it makes it very difficult to to be human in that mix. Right. Well, I mean, if you the, the key feature of advertising is to make people uncomfortable. And and here's something that I'll, I'll throw out there. I know we're getting kind of uh, short on time, but. On with social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, those folks spend a lot of time studying evolutionary psychology and the addictive process of always getting exposed to something new and novel. That's why social media platforms are so darn uh, sticky and so addictive because they hit that dopamine release in the brain that makes us excited and makes us kind of want to to seek out more of it. And the big food manufacturers. They study evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology, and addictive processes. And it, so it, the Lay's potato chip commercial, do you remember the tagline for the Lay's potato chips? You can't, but you can't it's eat a, just one. Bet you can't eat just one, and I'll take that bet all day long because they've spent you bet. millions and millions of dollars making this stuff it's effectively addictive. And some people kind of throw their hands up, you know, about the – addictive deal, but there's great brain scan imaging that shows that these foods hit the dopamine centers of the brain. They hit it in similar ways to cocaine and nicotine and caffeine. They're unequivocally addictive. And so people just need to, to wrap their heads around that. But here's the deal. The people who are profiteering from our suffering, they study evolutionary biology. They study evolutionary psychology. They understand the addictive processes of our food. 
the gatekeepers who are supposed to be protecting us, the medical professionals, the dietitians, even the media to some degree, these people still, to your point, you know, like we were talking about all these misconceptions around the paleo diet, there's still people who are arguing whether or not this evolutionary biology story even has any merit at all for health. And these are the people that are supposed to be protecting us. But yet the people that are profiteering from our suffering, they know absolutely that this evolutionary biology story, this neuroregulation of appetite, it is where the rubber hits the road. And they use it to ensnare us, make us feel uncomfortable, and, and keep us trapped in these processes. So I would just throw that out there for people that are maybe still like kind of arms crossed thinking about this stuff. And whether you eat paleo or whatever, I, I don't really care about that. But just recognize that the people who are making you feel uncomfortable in your own skin, they're able to do that because they understand your wiring at a deep, intimate level. And our doctors and dietitians and healthcare providers, that reality of understanding the way that you're fundamentally wired is not on their radar at all. All that they're doing is chasing symptoms, following algorithms that if you follow within for certain buckets, then you get this pill or this potion, and they're not thinking about the whole person, the whole system, or the, you know, the overlapping factors that bring us to this uh, situation that we're all in today. Well, um, Rob, this has been a, a great episode, and um, there's definitely way more information in your book, Wired to Eat, as well as um, your your first book, um, The Paleo Solution. Is there any way that people can get a hold of you or your books? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the books are sold everywhere at this point. Uh, you, you know, they're available online, but, you know, all bookstores typically will have them, and then RobWolf.com is where my, my blog and podcast reside. The main social media platform that I play around with these days is Instagram, and you can find me there at, at DasRobWolf, D-A-S-R-O-B-B-W-O-L-F. And uh, I try to answer just about every darn question I get. So uh, if you have some questions or, or need a little encouragement, you can track me down there, and I'll, I'll, I'll help you. Well, perfect. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Huge honor. Thank you. (laughs) And I want to thank everybody for listening. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.